electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, a retail ransacking, brazen theft sweeping the industry. But how much is it costing investors? We've got numbers you will not hear anywhere else. NVIDIA CEO selling a big chunk of stock, but is it the warning some think it is? Elon Musk under fire, a stunning revelation exposing his power in the Ukraine-Russia war and whether maybe it should be reined in. Employee happiness falling through the floor. Our COVID lockdown suddenly seeming like a golden era. We'll try to make sense of it. Plus, call it the Super Bowl of blackouts. Why marquee sports weekend may turn into the breaking point for pay TV. And Apple preparing to unveil the iPhone 15. But the next big thing could bring more of a shrug than a bang. All that and much more over the hour. So belly up or buckle up because last call is up right now. Well, hi, everybody, and happy Friday. I am Brian Sullivan coming to you live from CNBC. We're going to get to all those stories shortly. But first up, the escalating war between two superpowers, America taking new steps to try to turn the screws on China, all after Beijing put Apple in its crosshairs this week. The Commerce Department is now opening an official probe into an advanced chip that is in Huawei's latest phone. Huawei, of course, is China's biggest maker of smartphones. The chip in question is made by a Chinese company called Semiconductor Manufacturing International, a huge company. And like Huawei, it is blacklisted by the U.S. government, forbidden from accessing U.S. technology. Now, this probe comes after Apple became the latest chess piece in U.S.-China tensions. As we brought to you last night, China is outlawing the use of iPhones for government employees. Instead, government workers and state-sponsored enterprise employees will be issued a new phone. We don't know which, but our guess is it is likely from Huawei. And if the stakes were not already high enough, around this tech war breaking just hours ago, the Financial Times reporting that a U.S. House committee plans to hold a Taiwan war game with financial and business executives in New York on Monday. Say what? So our starting question tonight Is the intensifying tit-for-tat between Washington and Beijing really beginning to spiral out of control? Let's ask famed tech investor and serial entrepreneur David Sachs. He's the co-founder and partner of Kraft Ventures, a venture capital firm that has invested in Uber, Airbnb, Twitter, and many others. He's also launching a new venture called SaaS Grid this week. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Uh, David, thank you very much for joining us. Listen, uh, this seems to be you're going to do this. I'm going to do that. What do you make of this escalating, for now, technology war between America and China? Well, I think you're right, Brian, that this is basically a game of tit for tat. Um, you know, previously, the United States uh, banned the exporting of high end chips 
to China, as well as the machines that could make them and the and band the types of consultants and expertise who could help China make make those chips themselves. We uh, have basically banned Huawei and uh, other companies from participating in our our marketplaces and our telecom networks. And you know our own government workers, many of them have TikTok banned from their uh, from their phones, from their government issued phones. So we have taken uh, steps like the one China is taking ourselves, and I, I would argue that we've taken actually much more dramatic steps. By comparison, the step that China just took to uh, to ban its government workers from using Apple phones, it seems like a relatively mild response compared to the steps we've taken. If China were to do something like ban Apple from participating in its market altogether, that would be a much more serious step. But but as far as we know, that that hasn't happened. It's not happening. Agreed on all. And in fact, to your point, I mean, Huawei was banned in the U.S. and Canada years ago. You remember a Huawei executive, I think it was the chief financial officer. She was arrested in Canada. TikTok, to your point, banned on U.S. government devices in some states now as well. It won't be a popular question in the Beltway, but it might be in Beijing. I'll take the other side. Can you blame China for doing this? I mean, not really. I mean, we wouldn't want our government workers using Chinese devices, would we? Um, I mean, we basically uh, assume that if our workers are using TikTok or using a Huawei device, then it's just Chinese spyware. I don't know whether it is or isn't, but that that's our belief. So, I don't know why the Chinese government wouldn't have a similar belief about phones manufactured by a U.S. company. So to me, this is just part of tit for tat. Um, I think that the actions of both sides are understandable, but I think, you know, we could, I think, be spared the outrage that's taking place here, because like I said, they're just doing what we've already done. Well, I think the the outrage, if we want to call it that, David, is because Apple is not just another company. As you know, it is the biggest company in the world. It is owned by thousands of mutual funds, millions of investors. It is the top five stock in a couple of hundred ETFs. In other words, it's got massive stock market weight. So even if you don't care about what Beijing is doing as an investor, you're looking at this and thinking, could this hurt the overall market because of Apple's power? Well, I think I think that it's it's symptomatic of just this larger relationship that we have now between the United States and and China. You have geopolitics rather than economics are in the driver's seat. The truth is that neither side needs to do any of these things for economic reasons. They're doing them for geopolitical reasons. Both countries are now, and I think especially the United States, is concerned about the balance of power. Because of China's rapid rise, it is now capable of being a peer competitor to the United States. And the United States does not... Uh, does not like yeah. having pure competitors. And so I think this is all part of a, a geo, geopolitical game of, of tit for tat. Uh, I don't think that the actions that China has taken against Apple by itself are that significant. But if it leads to a escalatory spiral and it leads to the war games you're talking about, then that that is the thing that yeah. I think investors should be. I, I want to get to about. Elon Musk in a second, David, and your new venture. But I want quick follow up on that. Um, do you think that China ultimately wants to have almost its own economy technologically. What I mean by that is they have their own Twitter. They have their own Google. They have their own, not effectively, internet. They've got their own software. Now they want their own phone. Does China want to be a closed garden? 
I don't think that's what they would want to happen, but I think that they are preparing to go their own way if this sort of geopolitical battle intensifies. I don't know if you saw, but just in the last few days, there was a really interesting chart that got published showing that the percent of uh, imports coming into the United States, it, there's a larger percentage coming from Mexico now than China. Mm. The percent of, of our imports coming from China has been rapidly declining over the past several years, really since the Trump administration. And it's because of all of these new rules and tariffs that we've imposed. And so we've made it much harder for China to play in our markets. And I think they're also quite concerned about the ways that we have weaponized the U.S. dollar complex in relation to this Ukraine war. For example, we seized Russia's foreign mm -hmm. reserves. We kicked them out of the SWIFT system. We've imposed far-reaching sanctions on dozens of countries. So I think China, just looking out for its own interests, has to be concerned that if, they're, if they are yeah. too dependent on the U.S. trading system, and the U.S. dollar, that they are vulnerable. And so I think what they're trying to do now is create their own trading block through BRICS. Uh, but I don't I don't think this is necessarily something they wanted to do, but I think it's something they feel compelled to do uh, in order to secure their own yeah. economic future. You mentioned Ukraine pivot. You, you obviously know Elon Musk. I think you guys are friends very well. There was a recent piece that came out in the forthcoming Walter Isaacson biography of Musk, where, where basically the Ukrainian called Musk evil, because Musk apparently turned off or did not provide access to his Starlink internet service in the brief at the beginning part of the war, which which hurt Ukraine's ability to launch a strike on the Russian Navy without getting in to the details here. Do you think Elon Musk has, has too much power, given that that he could do or did something like that? Well, uh, the, to me, this is a case of no good deed goes unpunished. As you'll recall, when the this Ukraine war first broke out, Elon volunteered to give Starlink to Ukraine for humanitarian purposes. The terms of service prohibit the use of Starlink to be a weapon, and he never intended to be used for offensive military purposes. And, you know, but but what happened is that once he gave this system to Ukraine, they started using it. Now, Elon, I think, has clarified on on a post on X today that he didn't turn off Starlink for Crimea. He refused to extend Starlink to a service area that it had never previously served. So and I think it's he's certainly within his rights to do that. Again, he gave them Starlink for mm -hmm. humanitarian purposes, not to be a weapon of war. And I think it's presumptuous for a Ukrainian government official to just assume that they can conscript the assets and resources of an American company on behalf of their war effort. That's not something yeah. that they're entitled to. And I think Elon did enormous good for the country of Ukraine. And it's kind of surprising to see them act in this way that, you know, he that somehow he has hurt them when, in fact, he's helped them tremendously. Talk to us about this new venture, SaaS Grid Software as a Service. What does this do? Well, what we've seen over the past several years working with thousands of SaaS companies is that they is that founders are not properly instrumented. They do not have good numbers. They do not have good dashboards. And part of the reason for that is they're very hard to set up. You have to pull all of your data from all your different tools, from your CRM systems, your finance systems. You got to put it in a data warehouse. You got to write a bunch of formulas and, and SQL. A lot of mistakes creep into that process. What SaaS Grid does is you just connect your data sources, and then automatically we will create all the dashboards we you need as a founder if you're a software company. So this is a dashboarding and business intelligence tool for software companies born out of our own experience 
knowing what these companies need. David Sachs, wide-ranging interview. Always appreciate your time, particularly, David, on a Friday. Thank you very much. Of course. Thanks, Brian. All right, folks, in the meantime, here's what happened to your money this week. Not a great one. The Dow fell about seven, eh, three quarters of 1%. The S&P a little bit more than NASDAQ. Technology, we just talked about it. That's why we led the show with it. The NASDAQ down 1.9%. Apple, a big part of that story. All right, the biggest stud and dud of the week. The biggest studs were Centene, healthcare company. And then look at that, two oil companies, oil marching back toward 90, Marathon and Valero both gaining 6%. On the biggest duds, you've got Organon, FMC Corporation, and Align Technology. Align is the maker of Visalign, the, you know, invisible denture company. All right, we are just getting warmed up on this busy Friday. Yet another week of intrigue for corporate insider buys. Your top five exclusive buys is next. Plus, from insider buying to a very notable insider sale. A new disclosure from NVIDIA's CEO is grabbing the attention of one Mr. Herb Greenberg, and he'll join us to tell you what to make of it next. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. All right, welcome back. It is Friday, so it must be time for our weekly exclusive Insider Buy Breakdown, giving you the five companies with the most buys by corporate insiders. And as always, the names come with our thanks from Verity Data. Oftentimes, by the way, these stocks will trade higher on this kind of news. So listen up. Here we go. Counting you down five to one. Number five, a relatively small for us Insider Buy at Ingredion, though It is the first purchase by this insider in about a year and a half. And fourth, paint and coatings company Exalta, a board member, stepping up with a $1 million buy. And by the way, coming in on weakness, Exalta stock down 17% this quarter. We should also note the CEO has been recently buying at Exalta. Catalent is the third biggest insider buy of the week, just over $1 million buy by the new executive chairman, which he got with the help from giant hedge fund investor Elliott Associates. Number two is a well-known name to this list. That is Energy Transfer. ET has been on the list more than any other company, with the founder Kelsey Warren buying a ton of stock in the last year and a half. But this is not Warren. This is ET's CEO stepping up with a $1.37 million buy. ET is a pipeline company, apparently something to phone home about. This is a rare insider buy for the CEO, by the way. And now to the 
biggest insider buy of the week. It is at software firm Workday. CEO coming in with a $2 million pickup, which Verity Data notes maxes out his insider buying purchase plan and notes he is buying into strength. Workday is up nicely this quarter. Workday, big insider buy into strength. That means it's the name to watch. There you go. Your top five ingredient, Exalta, Catalent, Energy Transfer, Workday. A reminder, we do it every week outside of earnings season. You will only sit here on Last Call and CNBC Pro. From insider buying to insider selling. One of, if not the hottest stocks of the year, of course, is NVIDIA. Shares surging 200% so far in 2023. Company doubling down on investments in artificial intelligence. So it's pretty notable when CEO Jensen Wong discloses a major sale of shares. That's exactly what he did to the tune of $42 million worth at the beginning of this month. Should be noted, the last time Wong sold off shares in NVIDIA, that was back in 2022, the stock saw a dip later on. But before you begin to worry, Wong scheduled this trade back in March of this year, what's called a Rule 10B-51 plan, basically pre-planned sales. It's done all the time. Still, this is a massive sale of a massively popular stock, so does it matter? Joining us now, senior editor of Empire Financial Research, CNBC contributor Herb Greenberg. The 10B-5 plan is basically how executives say, I'm going to sell my stock. It's going to be sold down the road. Here's probably how much I'm going to sell. And it doesn't mean I hate the company, but this is a big sale, Herb. It's a big sale, but he also has a ton more stock left. I mean, this is what, $40 million out of uh, $47 million out of $40 billion. Man's got to eat. Look, if I were, if, if, I, if man's got to eat, if I were him, I think I'd be doing some prudent financial planning as well. And you can look at this and you can say, this is really a bad news. And by the way, these 10B51 plans, they have been known in the past to be rigged. In this case, I think you see somebody who's doing what, say, what Bill Gates did. What does Bill that mean? Gates what do you mean rigged? When you use the R, what do you mean rigged? Well, this is, I'm saying there were, like, if you go back to many years ago, countrywide, uh, oh boy. countrywide mortgage, countrywide financial, that was a case where 10B51 plans were used uh, as a way to sort of fool the market. There's, I would, I would be willing to bet there's no way, <laughs> there's just no way that's the case here. This is somebody who's starting to sell, who's been selling stock all along, by the way, via options exercises. You go back, he's been doing it. Yeah, did the stock fall? What does it mean? Is the stock high? Has it had a great run? Of course. Uh, but of course, he also put this plan in place back in March before, you know, this thing has gone up. I mean, this is a, look, this is a trillion dollar market cap company. But right now, because it's a trillion market, a, a trillion dollar market cap company, everybody is going for this company. There are people coming out of the woodwork. Oh, there are there's all, kind, out there's there. all I mean, kind. We don't need to go into it. There's all kinds of stuff. We don't want to go You know into what that. I'm talking about. All kinds of stuff on the Internet. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. But when you're this big, people want to look at it and they want to see the sale as a sign. And look, could the stock fall from here? Of course. Could the stock go much higher if you believe in the future of artificial intelligence and the need for chips that they are clearly a leader in and will remain a leader in? Yeah. Then you have to assume the stock could go much higher. And I go back. I just want to mention it again. Bill Gates sold all the way up. He has one percent share. Boy, was he stupid or was he signaling something? I think it's a reach to say that Jensen Wong is signaling something right here.
Okay. Well, you, you made a lot of in, NVIDIA investors because of the valuation, because of the run, because of it's important. You can imagine that people are jumpy and they're going to take a look at everything with a little extra care, which is why we had on it. And, you, sure. and, and Dr. Greenberg, you, you calmed our nerve and it didn't even take any Xanax. Herb Greenberg, thank you very much. Have a good right. weekend. All right, still ahead on a more serious topic, the staggering cost of retail theft. Some of the numbers that you will not get anywhere else because we crunch them ourselves. And that is next. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Welcome back. Of course, by now, most or all of you have seen some of the videos. Groups of shoplifters brazenly targeting stores, grabbing whatever they can and running or in some cases just walking out. It's a big deal. Maybe bigger, though, than you think. The National Retail Federation estimates that organized retail crime, what they call ORC, may wipe out more than 90 billion in goods just this year. And that is not just a hollow warning from a trade group. Many companies themselves are talking about it a lot on their earnings calls and often cutting profit guidance because of it. And when they do, sometimes their stocks can fall by a lot. But we haven't really totaled up much of the investor retail pain until now. We decided to build what we'll call our shrink index. Now, shrink, of course, the industry term for products that are either lost, damaged, or stolen. So while all theft is shrink, all shrink is not necessarily theft. Important to put that into context, but it's certainly been a recurring theme over the past two years with no sign of slowing down. So we wanted to know, how much could this be costing you, the investor? So we built the shrink index with 10 companies who have mentioned shrink or theft on their earnings calls by not a complete list, but I think a diversified list. Target, CVS, Dollar General, Kohl's, Dick's, Macy's, Nordstrom's, and more. We took a look at their combined market value from two years ago and compared that to today. And the results were stunning. In all, there was a combined 139 billion of lost market value. One company, Dollar Tree, actually gained value over those two years, which means just nine retailers have wiped out nearly 140 billion in value. Now, let's be honest. Not all of that is related to shrink. No way. Some of these companies have other issues. Walgreens just let its CEO go. And there are concerns about the consumer slowing down. But let's also be clear, a chunk of this, whatever size it is, is directly related to the problem, which means that in many ways, investors are also being ripped off. Investors, by the way, who may not be billion-dollar hedge funds, they could be retirees or school or state pensions. You may own some of these stocks. So let's talk about this more with J. Rogers Niffen, Jan Rogers Niffen, CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide. He's got decades of experience at major department stores and now runs a retail consulting business. And listen, Jan, we're not saying our index that we built, air quotes, 
is perfect. I was just trying to understand how much some of these retailers have come down for this and other reasons. I mean, these numbers truly are stunning. They are truly stunning. Yes, I worry about all the other things you're worried about. You know, I worry about their inventory levels. I worry about the fact that we've had this bit of whipsaw from COVID. I worry about the fact that consumers buying more into experiences than things now. But the thing we can't control that has moved the most has been shrink. I heard somebody say just today, oh, you know, Lowe's, they only have about 1%, a little more than 1% of their inventory, their loss and shrink, right? It's like 1% of sales. And that's not that abnormal because it goes to one to one and a half. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, before COVID, Lowe's number was 0.6%. Now it's over 1%. Their loss from shrink has doubled since COVID. Yeah. And I want to be, and the point I tried to make, Jan, the point I tried to make, because we see the videos and you can, whatever, some shrink, is damaged. My wife, as you know, works at consumer products. Sometimes you get bad batches of stuff. A truck goes missing. Something catches on fire. So it's not all theft. But companies are mentioning theft. In particular, I know you track these calls. This is a real problem, particularly out in California. Brian, not only is what you said true, but remember this. We're actually getting better on tracking the inventory. We're getting better on the accounting mistakes. We've improved significantly in the last five years of how to keep track of this stuff. The part that hasn't improved in shrink has been the theft. So the theft is actually even worse than it looks like if you're just measuring shrink, because the other components of shrink are actually getting better. But the theft part is going crazy. And every retailer I talk to says, we have never seen shrink as a percent of sales like we are seeing it today, yeah. every retailer. And there's this, there's this, you know, if you go on Twitter, which I advise not to, but if you go on Twitter, as I do a lot, you, you see commentary, there's sort of almost like this is not, you know, it's bad, but it's almost like there's like this mentality, like it's a victimless crime. In other words, because you hear this, well, thankfully, you know, they, they just grabbed goods and ran out, nobody was hurt. And also the stores are insured, stop whining about it. But I'll say this, I have a friend of mine who is a manager of a retail store in Chicago, this has happened to her, and it's she's scared. I mean, it was a scary situation, but also clear up this notion that these stores are insured. Of course, we don't know what any chain may have, but you and I went back and forth before. I've talked to some others in the industry. Hard to insure against this. My guess is you're, if not, there is, insured. If you're not insured, right? So it's not like, you're oh, not no, somebody else shrink. is going to pay the bill. We're going to pay the bill right, in the terms of higher costs for the goods because they got to make it up. If your store floods, if the sprinklers go off, if you have a fire, that inventory is insured. You're not insured for normal course of business and shrink is normal course of business. The fact that it's doubled, it's still normal course of business. You're not insured for it. And think about something else. This is all driven by economics. Before, when you stole goods from a store, you had to sell it in a back alley for cents on the dollar. Now you can sell it online for full price. And the other side of the economic equation, you're less likely to get arrested. You're less likely to get apprehended. You're less likely to go to jail. And it's less likely to be a felony than has ever been true in my history in retailing. So the risks are lower. Agree quickly. That's on the legal side. Why does Costco have almost no problem? Is it because they have somebody checking, literally checking IDs at the door? Or nobody it's wants a five-pound right? jug of mayonnaise? The, it's harder stuff to steal. It's 
a store that's configured harder to steal out of. They've always got somebody at the door. It's just harder to do. But try being a small retailer today where you really have zero security. Yeah. You have a door that's right on the street. They're getting killed even compared to the big retailers. Yeah. I was in New York City. And they go out of business. I was in New York City a couple of weeks ago. I needed some basic stuff. I went into Dwayne Reed. Everything was behind a, a glass thing. I kept ringing the bell. Nobody came. I walked out. They didn't get my sale. That's that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. Jan Rogers Niffin will get you back on. Big story, not going away. 139 billion in market value wiped out. All right, still ahead. The walls closing in on Sam Bankman Freed, another former top FTX exec, pleads guilty ahead of his blockbuster trial. An insider who had a front row seat to the collapse. Anthony Scaramucci is here next. All right, welcome back to Last Call. The walls are quickly closing in on FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried. Now, yesterday, one of FTX's former top executives, Ryan Salem, pleaded guilty to multiple criminal charges. Salem is the fourth executive from the failed crypto exchange to plead guilty to charges stemming from its collapse. Bankman-Fried himself has pled not guilty to charges of wire and securities fraud. His federal trial is set to begin on October 3rd. But as more of his closest advisors take guilty pleas... What will and what should he do next? Let's take it to an insider. Joining us now is Skybridge Capital founder Anthony Scaramucci, who was an investor in the company. Also, you know, with, with basically a legal background, Anthony, I'll ask you, if you were going to advise Sam Bankman-Fried what to do, given that all of his, every one of his top lieutenants and his alleged former girlfriend are rolling over on him, what should he do? Well, in a criminal case like this, Brian, when you hear clippity-clop outside an open window, it's a horse. It's not a zebra. So he's got four of his closest consorts inside that business have already pled guilty. And he is trying to make a specious claim that he got bad advice from his lawyers, which is why billions of dollars moved out of people's accounts into his personal account. And so... I think that's a super tough claim. He would have been way better off pleading uh, guilty earlier. He's not listening to the advice of counsel. He's probably not listening to his parents. And so now he's stuck in the situation. Moreover, you know, they gave him bail. They told him, here's the protocol to keep yourself out of jail until the, pr- the trial. He didn't listen to that either. No. And so now he's ended up in jail before the trial started. So, you, okay, you know, listen, this is an unmitigated disaster. Yeah, it is. You, listen, you went to Harvard Law School. I don't think you took the bar. You, at least you didn't practice law. So you do have a sort no, of— I took the—trust me, my mother would have never let me gotten away without taking the bar, well, uh, Brian. I had to take the bar. I passed the bar. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I went to law school, did not take the bar. I went to a bar. But that was probably the reason why I didn't take it. Uh, well, and, you and I have been to that bar, too. Yeah. You know, we've been to that <laughs> yeah. same bar. Especially with FTX, Anthony. And I want to get into it. I mean, listen, you, you knew or know Sam Bankman free. You invested with him. I'm sure you had many conversations mm-hmm. with him. So you're sort yeah. of going into his mindset. What do you think? Is he crazy or is he crazy like a fox? Uh, no, I don't think he's crazy. I think there's, you know, well, yeah, it depends. I'm not a psychiatrist, but I do think there's but you know him, sociopathic. But you know him. Yeah, I think there's sociopathic behavior. I think there's a uh, some people have a sliding scale of morality in their heads where they think that they're justified in doing certain things or they have a superiority complex. 
He may have things like that going on. I think he's also got a personal rigidity in his personality where he thinks uh, that he's right, other people are wrong. Uh, and so even though he has this monumental amount of evidence against him, mm -hmm. he's going to have his day in court. And, you know, I, I, I have to tell you, I, I don't know what he's doing, because if you've got your four closest people who committed the crime alongside of you have all pled guilty yeah. to the crime and you were the ringleader, I just don't understand how you're going to get out of that. I don't understand the plausibility of the defense and I think it's, you know, listen, you know, I feel terrible for his parents. You know, I, I got to know uh, his dad in particular, Professor Joe Bankman, who was a tenured law professor at Stanford, is a tax professor. Uh, and I liked him a great deal. And I, I can tell you, I was there on November the 8th when the entire cascade uh, and the house of cards was falling down. And as a parent, seeing Joe's face yeah. during that time of uh, tribulation was very painful for me. So... Uh, sure, we, we lost money here, but this is a very painful human story about a very young man that uh, yeah. you know, hurt, hurt himself and hurt others. And I think he's going to go to jail, Brian, for a very, very long time. Yeah. And he could have gone to jail for a little bit less of a long time had he just pled guilty you know, several months ago. That's it. You know, it is, to your point, it is a human story as well, and there's parents behind it, I, point taken, and a lot of people suffered on the, on the losing end as well. Just a bad story all around, I think, is the final solution. Uh, Anthony Scaramucci, appreciate it. Have a good weekend, my friend. Be well. Hey, good to be here. All right. Well, from locked up to locked down. So this is really random but interesting. Turns out some workers were happier during the height of the pandemic when many areas were on total lockdowns that, at least according to a survey from HR software firm Bamboo HR, they also found this year that employee sentiment has dropped 10 times faster than it has the past three years. So what exactly is happening in the workplace that is making employees so miserable or long for a terrible time in American history? Joining us now for more is Yale University lecturer and CNBC contributor Joanne Lippman. Joanne, what do you make of this? I read the survey. I kind of was like, eh, I don't know. What do you make of it? Yeah, Brian, actually, I think it's no surprise that employees are miserable. To be honest, let's think about this, that for the past three years, those of us who work in offices in particular have had this opportunity to have remote work, to have hybrid work. And now we've seen there is this absolute demand. There's a rigidity in these demands now for people to return to the office. And what's happening is part of what I think the misery index is telling us is that there's pushback uh, because these, these mandates to return to the office, they seem arbitrary. And it seems to suggest that the bosses don't trust you. And then you add to that the fact that people are now looking sort of longingly at what were some of the upsides of the lockdown. Now, there were a lot of downsides. We know that. But in terms of the upsides, people have gotten used to things like the lack of commute, the money they save, the wear and tear they save, the ability to work in your sweatpants and to do your laundry in between Zoom calls. All of those things that they now feel are being taken away from them leads to this sort of unhappiness with their jobs. Which is unbelievable to think about. I, I get the jobs point, but I also, you know, going through what we went through, we never want to go through that again. The question everybody is trying to answer is how much has work changed 
for the long run. Now, I, will, I don't like to use words like never, because everybody who uses words like forever and never again, we're always proven wrong. But, you know, we're still trying to figure this out, Joanne. Yes, we 100%. So, you know, on the, on the one hand, you and I have talked about this, Brian. I mean, and I was a manager for many, many years. And it's really important to have face-to-face -face contact, to be in the same place, you know, for mentoring, for cultural reasons, for collaboration, for all of those reasons. You really need people together. And when they're not, you have this lack of connection, which adds, I think, to the misery that we are now seeing. Um, but at the same time, we have to look at the positives of some of what we just went through. And in particular, you know, for some groups, the lockdown was really actually opened opportunities. And I'm thinking about parents of young children, women, uh, people who are disabled, who suddenly were able to have these uh, mm -hmm. remote options and, and hybrid options. And by the way, Brian, one of the things that's really struck me, very few people are talking about this, you know, we have a record percentage of women in the workplace right now, mm -hmm. and that's just started in April. And if you think about it, that is when, you know, between remote and hybrid work, plus the reduction and elimination of those COVID restrictions means that kids are back in school and yes. camp and, and daycare. So women can participate in full levels. And so I think that some of these return to the office mandates are a sort mm -hmm. of a signal to some of these groups that says, yeah, you're really not welcome here. And yeah. I think that also leads to this unhappiness. We got this childcare cliff coming too, according to the Washington Post. Scary stuff. But that's a different topic, a different day. Joanne, have a great, have a great weekend. Thank you very much. You too, Brian. Thanks. All right. Speaking of the weekend, it's kind of weekend. The dreams are made for sports fans. If only millions could actually watch it. How the Rubicon may finally be crossed in the battle over pay TV. All right, time now for tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the stories or story you'll be talking about this weekend. If you are a Spectrum Cable customer, you will be talking about this. Actually, you're probably going to be yelling about it. You may miss an incredible weekend of sports because the ongoing Disney charter blackout battle. Take a look at this lineup on ESPN. The U.S. Open men and women final. College football, including the Texas-Alabama showdown. There's also Sunday night baseball. And by the way, that is before Aaron Rodgers' Jets debut on Monday night. Your next guest says those events should attract more than 40 million viewers, except millions won't be able to watch because Spectrum blacking out ESPN and ABC. Well, at least some bars may get more business as fans now have to go out to watch the games. Let's talk about it more with sports business analyst Joe Pompiano, investor, Pomp Investments, host of the Joe Pomp Show. I don't know if this is getting better, Joe, or worse, because when ESPN puts out their biggest star, Stephen A. Smith, on the air to slam Charter, right, that's not a good sign. No, it's not at all. Thanks for having me, Brian. I, I think this is a much bigger deal than people realize. And I think it's a much bigger deal than people realize because it has the opportunity, the opportunity to drastically accelerate the decline of cable television. If you just look at ESPN's business specifically, they go out and they sign multi-billion dollar agreements with all the major sports leagues to broadcast their games. We're talking about the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, college football, PGA Tour, Formula One, everything you can imagine. They go out and they sign these rights. Then they go and they license this content to the cable companies. 
these cable companies pay them a monthly fee to have the content. This has historically been an amazing business for ESPN. There were 100 million households at its peak paying ESPN every single month, whether they watch the content or not. It was just part of the bundle. But what we've seen over the last decade is we've reached an inflection point in this business, where now cable companies, there's about 70 million pay TV households in the United States. So they've lost a big chunk of their business. Yet instead of those sports rights declining in value to compensate for that loss of profitability, they've actually increased in value because everyone knows that live sports are the last thing holding this bundle together. If you look at the NFL, the NFL's opening game last night had 27 million viewers. That made it the second most popular television show on all of TV this entire mm -hmm. year second only to the Super Bowl, right? So these live rights are immensely important because they're watched by tens of millions of people. But Spectrum is a unique point where Charter, the parent company, says we may want to exit this business. It's not nearly as profitable as it once was. We have broadband, we have wireless, and maybe we'll go focus on those business units. That's obviously not great for the customers that currently use well, those services, but Joe, it's especially Joe, bad for ESPN. I, I think, you know, and listen, the model, you know how the model works, I know how the model works. A lot of our viewers don't. Basically, you know, charter, you pay charter your bill, and then a chunk of that, the yep. biggest chunk, by the way, goes to ESPN. I think, and I'm not defending charter because Comcast is, you know, our, our benevolent overlord, but basically, I think charter's argument is listen, we're sending you a lot of money, and you're using some of that money that's building this streaming service, which is ostensibly to kill our own business. So we're paying you to destroy our model, and enough's enough. Yeah, it's a really unfortunate situation because ESPN has been public about this. It's no secret. They've said it's when, not if, they're going to start broadcasting all these events on ESPN Plus 2. But they're in a really unique position because no one's really watching ESPN Plus right now. Every single streaming service you can imagine is more popular than ESPN. The only reason, in my mind, why they have 25 million subscribers today is because most of those people are signing up as part of a bundle deal with Disney Plus and Hulu. So they have a problem where no one's watching the streaming service. Obviously, if they convert some of this stuff and it goes off cable, more people will sign up. But the cable business is still super important to them. So they cannot let Charter or Spectrum just disable the business altogether. Joe Papliano, I, I completely agree with you. This is a lot bigger than just a fight between Disney and Charter. This is, as we called it a couple of days ago on the show, sort of the Alamo in a way for cable TV. Joe, appreciate your views. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, folks, before we go, speaking of sports, last night I made this, you know, pretty off-the-cuff bet with top-rated wealth advisor and Kansas City resident Peter Malouk. By the way, your Chiefs, they may win, but they're not going to cover tonight. He's out in Kansas City. Peter, thank oh, you very much. They're, they're covering they're for not, sure. They're not, they're they're not, not, we'll put dinner covering done. easily. But they'll double the Guess what? Not only did the Lions cover, they actually won the game outright. Peter, we love you. You're a good sport. You're welcome to come on anytime. But the question is now, where are you taking me for dinner? I mean, one of my good friends lives in Kansas City. Anybody? Anybody? All you KC folks out there, where should Peter? I'll fly to the MCI. I'll fly to Kansas City. Where are we going to dinner? Tell us. Let us know. At Sully, CNBC on the on the X? All right, on deck. Apple preparing to lift the veil on the iPhone 15. But after so many years, so many phones, does it still deserve all the hype? We're going to sneak preview next. All right, welcome back to Last Call. It's become kind of like a national holiday of sorts. Not the Super Bowl, not Black Friday. 
We're talking about the release of the new iPhone. The fun gets underway on Tuesday when Apple expected to unveil the iPhone 15. By the way, that means there are some kids out there who are driving who were one when the first iPhone came out. Brave new world, right? But does all this deserve all the hype after all these years? Joining us now is Wall Street Journal personal tech columnist Joanna Stern, CNBC contributor. Joanna, I used to go out there for these releases like they were, it was like a cult. It was unbelievable. Still a big deal, but how big of a deal is it? Oh, you're not coming with me, Brian? Are, you, are we not going? I'm going on Sunday. So it's a big deal to some yeah. people still, but no. Yeah, all right. I, I, there's room. I'm, there's room in my bag for you. But look, the, I the won't truth fit in is, anybody's is, bag. <laughs> um, especially not with all the iPhones I'm going to bring back. So <laughs> legally? But no, look, to answer your question, I mean, probably. I mean, we're expecting four new iPhones. This is what we have. This is what we do every year now. Not only do we have one new phone, but we usually now have three or four. Yeah, new like phones. the low price it's, model, right? The the phone that no guy can use because it doesn't fit in any pocket we have. That's exactly what we're expecting. So that's that's a good summary. But to answer your question, every year now we see pretty incremental upgrades. And what that really adds up to for most people is a pretty big upgrade because nobody upgrades every year anymore. The, the, the average life cycle of a phone, two to three years, and that's what Apple bets on. And there are so many people in their ecosystem that it's not really a question anymore of what does that new iPhone do or am I going to get that new iPhone? It's just when and when am I getting it? What do you think would be the if there is that, you know, sort of mystery reveal that Steve Jobs used to do? And one more thing. And that was always the thing that got everybody's juices going. Is there going to be something revolutionary, not just evolutionary about this new 15? I think I think there may be some features in the pro models, and that's really where Apple's been focusing over the last few years, getting people to upgrade to those premium models, giving those, those lower end ones. And by lower end, I mean still starting in the, you know, close to a thousand price, a thousand dollar price range, seven hundred, eight hundred dollars. But in that higher end, that's where we have seen the innovation. Last year, they came up with that thing called the Dynamic Island. It was a software trick, and it was pretty cool. But this year, I think we're going to see innovation in that Pro Max, that one you talked about that will never fit in your pocket, the one that's the size of Alaska. That one, I think, <laughs> will get more innovation, more features, especially around the camera. A lot of talk about that having a periscope or a zoom camera, which we've started to see on Android phones over the last number of years. Well, I'll look forward to it. Look forward to the first hand. We will watch you from afar in that giant circular space building with that weird S elevator that actually twists. Joanna, thank you very much. I'll be looking for you. All right, there you go, on TV. All right, quickly, you know what happened 63 years ago tonight? One of the most iconic movies of all time slashed through the silver screen. Who can forget the famous scene from Psycho? So scary at the time that some movie theaters had nurses on call in case anyone fainted. Today, that movie be rated G. Thanks for watching Last Call, everybody. I hope you have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you Monday. Take care.
It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.